0: This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the El Paso Tourism Board. Take a trip to El Paso this summer. It's got everything you could ever need or want rolling hills, the desert, farmland, ruminating sheriffs, the drug cartel, violence incarnate, and livestock galore. El Paso, grab your dreams by the horns. it seems like there's a lot of audio issues but at the same time it doesn't so this is exciting so after we do all this work we'll know if any of this we is have to
1: throw it all away or
0: not yeah okay well welcome to our podcast so my name is matt and then this is tanner and kind of as we we're we're both writers and want to be filmmakers and tanner you tanner works in would you say tv development is that how you'd That's phrase exactly
1: it? what i would say in tv development
0: is that what you have on linkedin
1: you know, I've never updated my LinkedIn since like college. I don't know if that's out of like fear or uh, or what the deal is. LinkedIn really intimidates me. You know, I'm not even sure how the mechanism of being able to see people look at your profile works, but it's too much for me.
0: Well, that's the thing. You have to be careful um, with LinkedIn because if you like creep on somebody, um, they see it usually. Yeah, yeah. See, so to,
1: that scares me. I guess I could know if people are creeping on me, but.
0: But not let me pro tip though, not in incognito mode.
1: You do have all the pro tips.
0: <laughs> um, so Tanner works in TV development. Uh, I am a teacher. I have a uh, literature degree, and yeah. So we both really like we both really like movies, and we both really like books. And I kind of feel like we were we bond on both of those. And then I felt the connection was like extra powerful when there was a book that was also a movie.
1: Middle of the Venn diagram.
0: Yeah, right there. I feel like this genesis of this all was last summer when I read Inherent Vice
1: yes and that was one of the first one of the first movies we saw together after the pandemic yeah early movie back at the uh, arrow theater in santa monica um yeah
0: that, w- that was awesome that was really cool to see i was shocked at how well it played like because i just that's what's so cool about living in la is when you like think you're you have your own weird film thing and then there's like thousands of other people right, who right, are right. That same, versus yeah. like when
1: the movie comes out you're like people are mystified by this am i crazy for liking it yeah. People maybe even laughing too hard at Inherent Vice. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe it's a little disingenuous. A little yeah, a little performative. uh Yeah. So we, I really liked that, and then you also as well. We, we kind of both. I feel like well, as friends, like we've we're, we've been friends for a few years, and I feel like we seem to have a similar sensibility over like we both really like Greenberg, and we both really like we have, and we both love like The Life Aquatic and different things. I think I like The Life Aquatic a little bit more, but. uh we, of the big filmmakers that, like, everyone likes, I feel like we're the one that we typically like the same movies from their catalog. No, it's so been... true.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, plenty of people like, you know, Noah Baumbach movies, whatever, um, Francis Haas, the Whale, and now Marriage Story. But I remember... Hanging out with you and bringing up Greenberg, and you were like, "Yeah, I love Greenberg." And most no one, no one loves Greenberg. I love. For, I think except for me, to me, yeah, that's not true. But felt that way, so I, I do, I, I agree with you. There, there's a real kinship there.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's kind of that where it started too. I remember, like, because I moved to Los Angeles in 2019, and then um, we had met through your cousin, and. Um, we we were kind of had a tenuous friendship, but you were obviously very hospitable to meet up and whatever. And I was like trying not to play too hard to get, <laughs> um, and seem wanting to seem stable. And then, but we had like we had a couple like we had a crab dip, which was not vegan. Tanners eat Tanners vegan, but it's I've made and him break his rules. And- <laughs> <100, right>? <laughs> <laughs> but I've fed him multiple meals until he confessed. Um, I actually had to solicit the con- the confession of you because Corey, my now wife, was like. I think Tanner's a vegan. And I was like, <laughs> no, he ate chicken he ate the other chicken day. Uh, yeah, but we hung out. We played basketball in near your apartment. And then we went to Whole Foods, I guess, near your apartment as well. And I remember I brought up, we just started talking about stuff. And then I, I was thinking when I asked if you would read the script I had written, 2009 um, it was called. But then we were just talking about movies and I, yeah, I I remember bringing up Greenberg and you're like, dude, I love Greenberg. And then you showed me your background on your phone which was oh Greta Gerwig and that. Noah Baumbach. It was an illustration
1: yeah. from the New Yorker review of Greenberg probably. That's I so don't funny. know,
0: it was, it was definitely a deep cut. And then you were asking <laughs> like, oh, funny. what's your sensibility? And I was kind of like, oh, I really like like, kind of the dramedy like the sentiment sentimental sort of comedies like the Noah Baumbach and the and the Wes Anderson and you were like I've been trying to rip off that style for years <laughs> <laughs> um the
1: friendship was born
0: yes so then I feel like yes the pandemic personally I I think you've always it's funny because then my, my uh wife's cousin who lives is your neighbor said I forgot to tell you he said he saw you the other day walking and reading shout out Logan. Uh, yeah shout out Logan um but yeah so i feel like you're always reading i read a lot in college because i was an english major and i got kind of burnt out and i was also like just smoking way too much weed and like not and just being negative but i really had like kind of a um a reading renaissance i feel like as pretentious as that sounds during the pandemic because i also had a baby so we couldn't watch tv anymore at night so i just started reading a lot again um And that's been great. And I feel like, yeah, that's the most fun for me is when you can read, when you have a rare opportunity to like read a really great book. And then there's also
1: a really great movie. Also great movie. I know, yeah, no, I feel that I, yeah, I've always tried to read a lot, but sometimes it's a struggle or whatever. You don't find the time, but that was the one thing in the pandemic where, you know, I didn't bake bread, but I, I did read, read every day <laughs> and yeah, it felt great. And I have not been reading quite as much since, but still trying. And that was a, not a fun year, but you know, reading wise it was.
0: I, it do you, is your lack of reading coinciding with a new uh flame is
1: that possibly correlated I, yes yeah I'm, I've uh, entered a new relationship someone who likes to read which is huge we haven't done a lot of reading at the same time though which I which I had envisioned but I think I'll be able to work it in nice she just read Flannery and O'Connor's wise blood for uh
0: I have not read that I have only read her short stories but this is actually a good segue in if you'll allow me to make this hard segue. So the film and book or the book and film we're talking about today is no country for old men by Cormac McCarthy. And, um, apparently so Cormac McCarthy, like famously doesn't give interviews. I can't wait to have this excuse for not having good research when we do Thomas Pynchon uh, with inherent vice in like two or three episodes. But, um, apparently people say, uh, his, people ask him like, Oh, why did you become a writer? And he would just quote Flannery O'Connor saying, because I'm good at it, um, which is hilarious to me. It's also at odds I also wrote this little note because uh, there's some quote and I don't have it, but I remember when I was creeping on like an ex-girlfriend, like years ago, she had posted it. Um, but like Kurt Vonnegut said, like famously said, like, if you only do like, it's not like if you, someone's like, are you good at this thing you want to do and you're bad at it? Like who gives, who cares? like if you only do things you're good at like that's what kind of life is that like you can you can feel free to do things that you are bad at if you it's about if you like enjoy it so i think that's really funny cuz they also have like very different styles of writing
1: that's interesting well, it's also i mean yeah it's an easy thing to say when you are good at something uh, i
0: know and speaking of which and this is hilarious too cuz i i was reading this he famously doesn't give interviews and there's only a few and i was reading this vanity vanity fair write up uh that was made right before or right after he had come out with No Country for All Men, the book, and um, it's funny because the, the quote is, He is far from being anti social or recluse on the order of Salinger or Pinchon, but it's impossible to imagine him chatting with Oprah or Charlie Rose. And that really made me laugh because a year later, he would be chatting with Oprah because the road would be selected for um Oprah's book club. I also can't imagine Oprah reading it, like because there's so many, but she picks good books, that's what's crazy. She picked the corrections. Yeah, yeah, that pick was a whole... we the road. I mean,
1: maybe we could talk, well, I guess Franzen hasn't been adapted, but yeah, they had a whole back and forth. And oh, yeah, they had a few... comes feud. around to Oprah. Um,
0: <laughs> well, apparently, uh, just her being included in Oprah's book club was equivalent to $1 million in the early 2000s. Oh,
1: I see. Like, it would guarantee you that, that much. Yeah,
0: it's sales. worth that much. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the thing I was just going to bring up then, I think was really hilarious, kind of those meeting, clashing of worlds, because Oprah's like... And are you passionate about writing? Because I always tell my viewers like to find something you're passionate about and that's the payment. And it's like, you will have a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: so <laughs> easy to say that.
0: You it really, really gift is. gift a whole audience cars. Cars, are, yeah, yeah. That they probably have to pay taxes on and then their house is <laughs> canoeing, but that's fine. Um, sick Pontiac though. Yeah, it is a sick Pontiac. Uh, but anyway, so Cormac McCarthy and New Country for Old Men, and Tanner, how did how did you come to this story?
1: for definitely first through the movie. Um, had no idea who Cormac McCarthy was, I'm sure. Vaguely knew who the Coen Brothers were, and yeah, must have been sixteen, and my dad, my extremely divorced father, took <laughs> extremely my- Extremely divorced. My, Real quick, can
0: you define what extremely divorced means? Oh,
1: you know, he had moved out, had roommates. He probably wasn't even legally divorced at that point, but I think I, I count has roommates as extremely divorced. Moved into a house with two <laughs> other middle-aged men who were younger than him, but still middle-aged.
0: But um, he did move into the filet of Phoenix. He,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The filet South of the it really is the filet of metropolitan phoenix uh and it kind of became a thing for him to take my sister night to movies and definitely like one of the first uh i'm sure i had seen good movies before i loved movies but i was mostly watching shitty movies on cable or going to whatever the big blockbuster was one of the first movies that felt like real or gave me the sense of oh you can do this um i probably pretended to like it more than i did because i knew it was like a critical darling uh and some people in my school hated it, I remember. Um, but that was my first introduction to to the book or Cormac McCarthy. Um,
0: okay, I feel like though, and this is getting into it maybe a little soon, but I feel like saying that maybe you liked it more because you knew it was like, you know, uh, people liked it. But I feel like it's a very, as violent as it is and as like... In a way highbrow as it is because it won best picture like it's very accessible
1: that's true yeah i mean so like, watchable. obviously people you know flip about the ending or whatever um which is like shut up but um yeah it's true i mean i saw Wait, it people the...
0: flip about the ending now we're really cutting ahead but they hate i don't it. people well, hate it i don't cause i don't yeah
1: because it's the cut to black after his like soliloquy or whatever oh like,
0: about a dream do they yeah. hate it because it's like very Cause... like
1: open-ended and you don't you know i think it's like it just ends with tommy lee jones talking and maybe they wanted to see josh brolin die i know we're like getting to
0: oh okay but okay we'll save some of this but i don't think that's interesting criticism i didn't engage with a lot of the criticism around this movie like positive or negative um but it's not ambiguous he's retired he's in his new life he has time to tell his wife about dreams to be clear
1: that's not like i don't think there was a lot of like Real criticism that took took that position, but it was more like I don't know, my grandmother or like some <laughs> girl in my biology class. Uh, but then I also think of it with a serious man the next year, which has like an even more like cut to black ending, um, that I guess is actually vague. But that reminds me.
0: Oh wait, it, well that that's with the tornado, right? When they're the tornado, yeah, spoilers. yeah, um, yeah. Uh,
1: that reminds me of uh, another quote I had read before, probably here on. A fucking podcast like this, but um, where Paul Thomas Anderson was discussing how people had paired No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood together in 2007 because they were both competing for Oscars, and that someone told them told him that it they were either voting for the movie that uh, had not enough of an ending or the movie that had way too much of an ending <laughs> with the, the ending of There Will Be Blood with the bowling pin smashing and milk. Yeah,
0: wow. And, I love, I mean, not to get caught up on that. We could maybe at the end we'll talk about which one do you like more. But I, it's interesting though, as a symbolism, just quickly, is like the a lot of the, the movie, There Will Be Blood, is like capitalism versus religion and capitalism becoming the new religion. And it's just a priest or preacher getting. Been getting murdered by a bowling pin is like the best metaphor for that symbolism, you know. You could ever yeah. like capitalism's going to win. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's
1: incredibly on the nose and perfect.
0: Yeah. Um okay, so, so similar with me, I it's interesting for both these so no Country for Old Men and Cormac McCarthy, just the titles and the name and the name of the author have been like kind of kicking around in my head for a while, like, I always have, I feel like I don't remember when I first learned about them. Obviously when the movie came out, I don't remember when I first learned about Cormac McCarthy, but I just knew the name. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, Oh, this is a popular writer.
1: Great names. So many C's.
0: Yeah. I don't think Cormac is his real name. I think it's his pen name. I think his real name is Charles, but, um, it's interesting because then I remember thinking maybe the genesis of it too. I was like, I know this sounds familiar, but in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, there's a character named Cormac McLagan. And I was like, oh, it sounds that. very similar. Yeah. So then I don't know, but I never really, it was always the type of thing that I was like, oh, I got to read something by him. So oh. wait,
1: do you think he took his pen name from Harry Potter?
0: No, <laughs> it's free date. I, I hope so, but no. Uh, but anyway, so those, those two, like, kind of that movie and him as a writer have been in my head but i hadn't watched it in a really long time or i hadn't watched it at all i mean or read any of him so then it was always everything oh i need to watch the movie oh i need to read one of his books and then they kind of coincided i watched no country for old men for the first time in like 2016 but i had like a terrible fever i remember i and i (laughs) kind
1: of a perfect movie for that
0: yeah but i was I remember leaving being confused. It's just kind of similar. I got really high when I was in high school and watched uh, Silence of the Lambs and I thought Hannibal Lecter was in a terrarium. Just one of the only times I've ever hallucinated. Even it's a hallucinogen. Wait, type wait, play, but.
1: in the movie, you
0: thought his. James I thought was he was in a terrarium. terrarium I was just thought, on. Okay. I was gone. I hit a gravity bong, and then I was like, I imagined like that there was a stream behind him and like rocks and I, was like, I wasn't sure anyway. you about
1: that, or if you had a pet lizard in a terrarium and you like went to bed and thought <laughs> Anthony Hopkins was in the terrarium. No,
0: okay. no, not that level. It was not a psychotic break, but uh, uh, but then so it's similar. I was like in this fugue state watching this movie and I thought he was killing people with, um, the air with a respirator. Like oh, the yeah, thing he uses. Like yeah. It's interesting that they have both of those things. Cause it's kind of the same function, but I thought that's what was happening. And then I thought, as I also remember he did, wasn't talking a lot. I was so out of it, but I was like, can it, does he need it to breathe? Like I left not having seen the movie at all. I Is felt it a like Bane
1: type situation. Yeah.
0: Kind of. I, I felt like, The only thing I could really recall or like, I was like, that movie was was amazing to look at. Like, it's an amazingly shot movie. That was the only impression I had. And then um, I got, as in the pandemic, I got like really into reading again and then kind of uh, compulsively buying books. And I went to like Books on the Boulevard uh, in Sherman Oaks. So not too far from where you work. Have you ever been there?
1: I've not been there. I've driven past it. never been there. Books on
0: the Boulevard, LLC shout out although she did real quick i was i came like i don't know two months ago to sell some stuff and i had i had like a first edition franny and zoe and she was like this is really common and i looked on their shelves they didn't have they didn't have it so
1: yeah real common you
0: don't real common you don't even have it but anyway um uh But the first time I went in there, I just got, I was just looking around and I go to the major writers. I kind of just stick to the classics when I go to a bookstore to see if they have cool copies. And then this just kind of called to me. I was like, oh, this is, yeah. And I was like, oh, I should read it. And then I'll, and then I kind of was like, I don't know, rewatch the movie because I didn't really understand it the first time because I was in a fugue state. And then, side note, at the end of last school year, um, there was, um, I was just reading for pleasure during, there was like this. And every day at the end of the day, you had office hours spring semester for an hour's for parents to like could come Zoom you or whatever, and no one really ever did. So I would grade or plan or whatever. And one day I was just reading this for pleasure, and the head of the English department walked in to my room just to like ch- just to like check on me because it was my first year at the school, and I feel like I I got some cool points. I was just openly reading. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, cause you could, it was kind of well-known that you didn't have to do that. Cause it was an extra hour on the top of your day. So it was kind of like time that wasn't negotiated right, for us. So right. people... Not only were
1: you wasting your own time when they didn't need mm-hmm. you there, you were, you know, reading, reading the a book. Boys.
0: Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, so I, I really liked the book and then, um, I read blood Meridian and I remember we had been talking about that and you said it was really good and it was very dense. Um, and that's kind of how I felt. So when I was reading blood Meridian, so Gorman, uh, so so No Country for Old Men, I feel like as we're gonna get into it is like it's good, it's very good. But it, we we were talking about this yesterday, but the fact that the movie's out there, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just want to watch the movie because the movie is such a good embodiment of all the stuff in here, um, and it is really there's so much stuff that translates to visuals. And we know it's like originally conceived as a screenplay. So if you're really into No Country for Old Men, the the, the movie, I would recommend reading the book solely, basically for the monologues. That Ed Tom Bell gives so it's it's split between like prose and plot with these these character monologues from um, Sheriff Ed Tom Bell played by Tommy Lee Jones you can really hear Tommy Lee Jones's voice in your head as you're reading them so I I got a bunch of uh, passages that we could talk about but before that with just I want to touch on Blood Meridian very quickly I felt Blood Meridian when I was reading it I was like this there were random parts of it I was like this is the best thing I've ever read and then there were parts of it where I was like I'll take it or leave I'm very confused yeah, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very repetitive they're just killing everybody and bleh. and it, may god have mercy on our
1: souls <laughs> we, we, we love the judge um yeah I read I can't remember I think Blood Meridian was the first one I read in college I had this this friend who's you know, kind of terrible. Hope he's not listening. Um, <laughs> who was kind of my book buddy in college, or like my you know most literary friend, and he was into the Coen Brothers vaguely, and then we both kind of got into Cormac McCarthy. And I either read that or *Child of God* first. But *Child of God*, *Child of God* actually like way dark—not way dark than *Blood Meridian*, impossible. But about like a cannibal who like I, I think a was, necrophile, right? Right, a necrophile, right, right. He keeps all these dead bodies and kills them. Um, But uh, I was so into what I thought was the opening opening line opening line of the book. I think I told you this recently. (laughs) Yeah, don't Uh, go for it again, man. And I I would tell so many people about it because it was to me. I thought it was Lester Ballard was a child of God, much like yourself, perhaps. The necrophile being named Lester Ballard Um, said that for years. Then, uh, like a month or two ago, I was dating this woman. Saw she had just recently read Blood Meridian and loved it, but I saw she had Child of God on her shelf. I brought it up. She told me that was her shelf of books she hasn't read, and I was like, "This book has the best first line. Let's take it." <laughs> up. Not at all the first line of the book. <laughs> Wait, it did. didn't it come like
0: on page like seven or eight or yeah? Something? But it's not
1: even the same. It was it. It doesn't. It's I think it just says he was a child of God, much like yourself, perhaps. Like eight pages later, was not <laughs> Esther Ballard. None of that. Um, but then also, real quick, I assume we won't be doing an episode on James Franco's Child of God adaptation for many reasons. Um, but maybe. Uh, but the quote <laughs> you said earlier, uh, com- the Flannery O'Connor quote, reminded me of a quote I heard James Franco give a- when he asked Cormac McCarthy about uh, Child of God. He asked him, like, how he came up with this this concept of this character, this this, you know... Guy who keeps these bodies in a cave and fucks them, and apparently Corbin McCarthy just said, "I don't know, James. It was probably some dumbass idea I had. Um, <laughs> I just thought that was great. Not, not too so far glib. Off from. Yeah, I do it because I'm good at it.
0: I feel like though we've talked about this before. That's the real. The real geniuses don't want to talk about it. Do so, you know like what you. I mean? Yeah, more for us. Um, to talk about. Which is why we, you know, I talk a lot. So, groups in the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, that's interesting. And the the point you made, I feel like, is actually a good jumping-off point about about Child of God for stars. It's hilarious how deceptive our memory is. That's why eyewitness testimony is not good. Um, but we don't need to talk about that today. Podcast. Yeah, but both the um book and the movie. So there's this idea that I learned about in college of narrative frames. Mm-hmm. So the beginning and the end of the movie, you're always going to or book, you you will always remember much in much greater clarity with like specifics and to even quoting some of the prose than you will anything in the middle of the book because it just comes at the beginning or it comes at the end. So the idea is make it good because the people that's what people remember. Right,
1: right. So,
0: so you and I think that's arguably the most effective part of both uh stories with the book and the movie is the beginning and the ending because the beginning opens with a character monologue in the book and the movie in the in the movie it's over like shots of the landscape and where the story is going to be taking place like this regional epic and it's so effective and I just want to read this one part and it's literally the first page. And I just, this is something that this, I feel like you're going to feel similar. It's a small thing, but I just really like. Um, So he says, I sent one boy to the gas chamber at at Huntsville. One and and only one, my arrest and my testimony. I went up there and visited him two or three times, three times. So I I just like, I just like, he says two or three times. And he's like, thanks for a second. Three times. Oh, that's good. And the reason I really like that is because I think Coring McCarthy has written some plays as well, but he um, there's just so, I just love character stuff. And we, when you have dialogue like that or, or monologues and you're saying two or three times and clarifying later, it's just very like within character and how people speak. And then he has, there's a thread that I actually think would have done well in the movie, but there's just so much going on in the movie that they dropped it. But, Sheriff Ed Tom Bell had a daughter that he lost, and he says, "I'm not going to talk about that." But then he obviously talks about it later, right. and he has talks about how his war in World War II, he like got decorated when he really messed up, and he's like, "I'm not going to talk about that either." And it's just kind of hilarious. It's like, well, why bring it up then if you're not going to yeah, talk about yeah. it? But then it's he such
1: an interesting character detail to give a narrator like that.
0: Yeah. So the reluctance to share details or to like take the time to clarify, I feel like. Adds to kind of the to the draw to it to the the color of it um and just small specifics like that. I don't know why, but when I was rereading it the other day, just that three times. I just just two or three times, three times. I just I really liked. Almost like so, he's but holding the,
1: himself accountable. Yeah, you
0: know, yeah. <laughs> but the framing so that it ends with a character monologue as well. So we have the character monologue at the beginning and it ends with it um talking about his dream. And I think the dream is like so beautiful that he's describing of like his father in the night going past him and how he's reflecting on a younger man because he's past the age that his father, he's older than his father ever was. Um, and all that stuff. So like, I just feel like that the reason I feel like, um, no country old man really stays in our memory and is like really isn't, it's obviously the, all the, 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 amazing plot that comes to happen, but I just feel like it's bookended so well.
1: Totally completely agree. I mean, yeah, the last, his dreams, both both in reading and the movie, make me tear up uh, every time. So far, at least.
0: Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Do we have any? Do we have any final words? I mean, I can just add some stuff about Cormac before we get into the movie and the and the Coens here. But basically, yeah. So Harold uh, Harold Bloom ranked ranked him. Um. I think it was it was Blood Meridian and Moby Dick as like the two best basically pieces of. Stuff in the Western Canon, one of the greatest novels of the twentieth twentieth century. Um, One thing I also read on Wikipedia, I don't know if it's true, but apparently also Cormac hates the work of Henry James and Marcel Proust, which is hilarious. Um, We love it when authors
1: hate other authors. We need more of that. He he didn't.
0: Yeah, more literary feuds. Uh, I don't think it's like he hates them personally because I don't think he ever lived at the same time as them. But I think he was like, (laughs) I don't get why people think it's good. Kind of right, right. Um. And then so, yeah, basically, he's he's kind of this, uh, I don't know, uh, very talented, uh, elusive guy who was very, very poor. Um, the one thing I think that I feel like that you could, you could find all this stuff on the Internet rather than me kind of bastardizing stuff from Wikipedia or this article. But one thing I, I want to a quick side note, I guess Saul Bellow is one of the people who recommended him for MacArthur Genius Grant, um, which has enabled him to do the research for Blood Meridian, which is cool because we both like we both like Saul um but i'd also real quick i was like i don't know if i love adam driver i've been a big fan since the girls pilot i I don't know i don't know if charlie barber is the macarthur fellowship type in marriage story i i I was like this is clearly a plot point to have this arsenal of cash to sue. i know i've
1: always thought it's also um because his sister in law is the playwright, and No sister in law is the playwright Annie Baker. Annie Baker, yeah. Who I don't know. If she I think she's a MacArthur genius. But to me, I was always like, oh, he's just pulling this like character detail because it makes sense. Yeah, as like a plot mm-hmm. engine. Um, since Charlie's also a whatever theater director, I guess rather than playwright.
0: Yeah. So just quick side note. But anyway, um, really, the only thing I feel like is worth mentioning that I that I think is show is evidenced in this um uh story in, in no country for old men is he says something to oprah in that interview which is just funny because it's such a big like point something to say but he says subcon he talks about how the subconscious is much older than language like the idea of the subconscious or the unconscious i think i think I actually meant to write unconscious um then subconscious there's different things but like are you like that's like a specific thing do you know what i'm talking about when i say the the unconscious i do okay well sorry for seeming like a pompous douche just just no, double no, no, no. checking okay anyway i just think that's cool because we've we, we've talked about this before with david lynch where you were said i was saying that david lynch is great but i think he's more of an eccentric than a genius and you were like no i think he's he's tapping into something right the like collective unconscious almost. yeah exactly and i i don't know exactly how Cormac mccarthy uh, what's a good what's your operational definition of the unconscious like yeah the, the collective basin of like universal thoughts and desires yeah. that like we tap into when we dream or sort I of guess, thing yes
1: yeah i guess i said i know what that meant in a very confident way um, when i probably don't have a definition at the ready for it but yeah i would think so like uh, you know all of that everyone's feeling and doesn't realize they're feeling i guess
0: mm-hmm. and if for no i i think that's smart uh just to distill it to something like that. I always think of it as, yeah, kind of like a reservoir of like, of, of these like kind of mythic stuff that we feel, we can't quite, can't quite articulate, but some, you know.
1: you can't quite put your finger on.
0: Yeah. Um, And then there's kind of this path that's leading you down. You can kind of fight against it or not. This is all like belief system at this point, but like just a quick example, when I was trying so hard to try to do like film and comedy stuff, I feel like I was swimming upstream and then I like kind of was like, okay, I'll give education a try. It was like very easy to, to like, go down that path you know Mm -hmm. at least for that moment um and it felt like that was something kind of like in the unconscious um i don't does that make sense no that totally makes sense yeah i mean
1: also i mean that's so even beyond court mccarthy's work probably you know fitting that same categorization as as david lynch's is feeling like it's tapping into some sort of unconscious i mean what you said about like feeling a pull down a certain path like that's it ties into no country for old men, you know, I mean, in a very surface level way, these guys think they can avoid the path and stop. Like they say, stop what's coming. You can't, Um, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, you can't stop what's coming. Yeah. Um,
0: You cannot stop what's coming. I think, um, also I feel like we might need to be a little louder. I feel like I'm shouting, but maybe we got to be a little louder. Okay. Um, but, So yeah, no, (laughs) spoiler alert, you can't stop what's coming. (laughs) But there's small things that happen too that I feel like maybe it's just like, I just appreciate it because it's either that type of feeling or it's just imagination um, of like Cormac, or sorry, Llewellyn Moss, like using the, like putting it in the vent and using um, like the tent poles and stuff in the vent for the money. There's just stuff like that that's like, i just feel like is like that type of thing it's like this character's being compelled to behave in a certain way that feels very like natural even though it's weird and doesn't make sense like really you why would you do that but like that's what a person would do likely no
1: totally i mean you don't he almost seems to feel it you know like he knows like what you know when he tells her i'm fixing to do something dumber than hell and it's like but he's pulled towards it and he's capable of doing that yeah um
0: okay yeah and then sorry we're jumping all over the place i just remember there's i have a bunch of passages but there's one more that i want to talk about real quick because then it can get into the theme then let's just go straight along into the cohen's but um so a lot of the theme that's being suggested to us i feel like is kind of is um kind of like is the new generate is there a new evil coming or is this the way always things have always been and um so there's a and that gets really woven in the narrative of the book when you're reading these character monologues and one of them says there's like this liberal woman talking to him and it's unclear the political identity of the narrator you kind of think maybe he's right dead in the middle because some things he says but then um She's, so he's, so this woman's talking to him, okay? And she says, she kept on and on. Finally, she told me, I don't like the way this country is headed. I want my granddaughter to be able to have an abortion. I said, well, ma'am, I don't think you got any worries about the way this country is headed. The way I see it going, I don't have much doubt, but uh, I don't have much doubt, but what she'll be able to have an abortion. I'm going to say, not only will she be able to have an abortion, she'll be able to pay to have you to be put to sleep, which pretty much ended <laughs> the conversation. <laughs>
1: Well, we gotta we gotta say Ed, Tom Bell, you were wrong. Um
0: <laughs> Yeah, Texas is still summer. behind. Um I just think the line of like and to me is like I don't think he has a moral issue with abortion or whatever. It's more like he wanted to sh- like to stop this conversation and just saying she could have you put to sleep. And I do think that is something to each generation is not I, I don't think that significant from the others, but it seems like we've been giving more and more power to the to the kids in a way like for like there's just like i just feel like parent like there's just so much awareness about about abuse and all these things and and although that's good obviously but like i feel like there's a lot less deference and reverence for like the the previous generations
1: listen matt this this is not a country for old men
0: (laughs) (laughs) um But I think that's just... No,
1: but you're so right. I mean, I even think of... uh, And it's interesting because it's kind of similar to the narrator. You kind of can't always tell what Cormac McCarthy thinks about something. And I know... I believe it's in the book, too, but at least in the film where he's with the... Is it the other sheriff? um, And he's talking about, you know, kids with green hair and bones Mm -hmm. in their noses. And, like, Ed Tom it's like you can't tell if he's just, like, being conversational or actually thinks this. But they're, like, agreeing that these... Like, those are also signs of the end times, like, on par with this unstoppable killing force. Um, <laughs> the kids in the green hair, yeah
0: along yeah, with yeah. Anton Chigurh <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're but no, there's cool definitely way. something
1: to that, like, giving too much power to the youth and, I don't know, your time slipping away from you and not being able to do anything about this impending doom.
0: Yeah. But, um, which, again, I
1: mean, also, I don't know, we can get more into this shortly but it's just all of these things also feel so aligned with so much of what the Coens had already done you know like in a lot of ways it's almost shocking that obviously Cormac McCarthy was around before they started making films but that this book was written like so far into their careers because there's so much in it that just feels ready made to their movie and so much that they I mean so many things they do add that just feel totally in line with it
0: yeah yeah, no, I I feel like that's interesting to say cuz I don't I see the parallels in the sense of I haven't seen like The Crossing for example, which I know Cormac McCarthy was like a huge fan of. Mm, um i haven't seen it either. Cuz for me it's more like I guess that's in, that's interesting cuz I I've, I've only so I've seen Barton Fink, I have seen The Big Lebowski, I've seen Fargo, A Serious Man, I've seen Inside Lewin Davis. Um Raising Arizona has been on my list forever. Um, I can't remember if I've seen others. I haven't seen all of them, Mm -hmm. but to me, it's kind of like there, there isn't as much thematic um, between all, like between them with corn. I've uh, I haven't read a lot of a whole, his whole thing either, but I'm like, but I kind of feel like where I get the connection is with Tommy Lee Jones's character of being like, he's like kind of a coward and like refuses to carry a gun and like, He's like, I'm hiding behind you, too, as the new green share of the new guys. <laughs> like, that type of thing. That feels maybe more – can you elaborate on what you mean? Sure, yeah. I mean,
1: I definitely agree there. But, I, I mean, even, like – not that it's anything new in particular. But even, like, in Barton Fink, like, this guy who thinks he's, like, doing the right thing and doing mm-hmm. it right for him. But, like, there are, like, forces at play that he couldn't even contend with. You know, like Llewellyn Moss. Mm-hmm so you
0: think more like 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 in terms of like like theme and like fate and things like that the idea you can't stop what's coming
1: you can't stop what's coming uh certainly like miller's uh miller's crossing i know you mentioned you haven't seen that there's it's so beautiful um yeah there's stuff with a hat in miller's crossing that just feels very Cormac mccarthy where it's like this is how life feels but it's totally heightened and like there are some things you just can't escape but i mean also even obviously i think some of the cartoonier and earlier coen Brothers stuff doesn't feel in line with no country for old men both the film and the book but there's so much the dialogue in the movie like that was what shocked me i, I so i read the book second uh after having seen the movie several times and you know we were talking about how it's it would started out supposedly as a screenplay but i'm shocked at how much specifically of like the comedic dialogue is just straight out of the book, like stuff that y- you would have sworn was just the Coen's a hundred percent, like Llewellyn and Carla Jean when he's first, when he first comes back, like their entire back and forth, um, is so funny. And it's just word for word in the book. And to me, that's like pure Cohen stuff. Um,
0: like if you don't like be quiet, I'm going to take you in the back and screw you and screw scrap you. thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. That, uh, Where'd you get the the getting place? Um,
0: Oh yeah, and then the one with the most
1: pulls. (laughs) uh... So much of that, I mean I know they've talked about, you know, they're very humble and say like that they, how they wrote this, their process was like Joel read and Ethan typed. Like they're just reading straight from the book. um, (laughs) Which maybe is true, but I, I think that's the case also. I have not read the book True Grit. I've seen the John Wayne movie. So their True Grit is kind of a remake, but I think like most people who are remaking things, they claim it's a more of another adaptation of the Charles Portis mm-hmm. book. And I haven't read the book, but it, everything in the movie feels so Coen brothers, the arch dialogue, like the comedy, the strange characters. And apparently it's just all dialogue from the book. So like, they really know oh, how to identify things that
0: fit and in. And streamline.
1: Yeah. And I mean, might as well get into this now. Some, like, I know you mentioned you, ha- you haven't seen blood simple, right? I have not. So that's their, their first movie. And, um, you know, it's great, similar to this in that it's like a, you know, neo-noir set in Texas, um, made in the 80s, so not, not a period piece, contemporaneous, um, but same time period as this. But it, it opens with um, this, I guess he's the antagonist, this private detective character giving a monologue and voiceover over these, you know, Texas landscapes. And I mean, it's like, it's not Cormac McCarthy's prose, but it's, it's the exact same opening. And the fact that they would they would do that in whatever it was '84, and then again 20 years later, a book would be written by this huge author, and they'd adapt it, and it would be the same opening. You know, it's almost predictive. There's also um, in *Raising Arizona*, which again couldn't be more different tonally, but is kind of doing similar things with these these ideas of like these characters in the West and like fate and escaping yourself. Like um, Nicholas Cage, you know, is this He's like, why the coyote? Like literally, like a cartoon character. His name's Hi McDonough, um, Hi for short. And uh, he, there's this character that kind of comes out of nowhere and enters the chase. It's similar to No Country for Old Men, how there are these three parties, you know. Um, and there's a biker from Hell character who seems to like literally have satanic powers don't know where he comes from who enters to also like find this missing child i guess i can't exactly remember if that's what he's doing because they've stolen a child that's a plot of in arizona um but he's this this mythical biker that can't be stopped i don't know if he breathes fire but there's a part where he's like driving down the road and sees i don't think it's a bird maybe it's like a scorpion or a horny toad and he drives by and just shoots it dead as he passes exactly like anton sugar does on the okay the covered bridge scene
0: i actually had a mental note about that scene that i wanted because i wanted to i wanted to talk about that scene as well because he doesn't kill the bird
1: right he misses right okay he right.
0: misses and then i was like is that was that a misnomer to try to get us to think that moss is going to escape like you know what i mean like why I, I, is I, that why do you think that scene's in there
1: well i think it, it uh this is another thing because i mean that scene's not in the book um correct me if i'm wrong i don't think it is i don't there, believe there it are is a either. few instances that um we might as well get into some of the differences where it's kind of like doubling, uh, doubling, um, Moss and sugar. And, you know, for more context with raising Arizona and the similarities, one of the reveals with this mysterious biker is that he has the same Woody, the woodpecker tattoo as Nicholas cage. So there's this moment near the end of raising Arizona where you're like, is Nicholas cage the biker? <laughs> like, what does this oh, mean? Is it part interesting. of him? But then like in, uh, in No Country for Old Men, you have the opening where um, where Llewellyn's hunting, and he says, mm-hmm. like, hold still. And you can't. I, I guess I don't know if he's talking about himself holding the the gun or the animal he's trying to kill. But he says, hold still, and he misses. And then uh, Anton Chigurh, I can't remember when, but later says, hold still, which I don't think— He He
0: says it with the um, uh, biker. Is it the when biker. He's first putting up the—, the Yeah, the, when he puts the cattle, the cattle prod. prod. Yeah. Him,
1: which isn't in the book so that's doubling and then him missing I see it both as like doubling with Moss and also kind of yeah like not like Moss is going to get away but like wait is this Terminator guy like mm-hmm. does he have flaws which I mean in the end we see he does you know sure he probably gets away but at the end of the movie you're not like he, you no longer see him as this demon god of killing or whatever
0: yeah just synonymous with violence yeah. well there's so much in that to unpack i feel like with what you just said because sorry i didn't mean to cut you off about the no, narrative no. we um i just they reminded me because i wanted to bring up that point too but yeah that is interesting so i feel like i think it gets back to this idea this is really heady now but the unconscious is like so i know that i think that the, the cohen brothers Oh, I know the Coen Brothers. They said that they read Cormac McCarthy for pleasure, and they make an off-handed comment, being like, "They're like, why did th- Charlie Rose was like, why this, why this, like you've never done an adaptation before, why this?" And they're like, "Well, might as well like start with the best." So I feel like they're kind of like being, um, they're they're heavily influenced by Cormac McCarthy, right, probably. Right. And they're like, a, if we're
1: gonna do this thing, we might as well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The best. yeah, do
0: do the whole thing. So i imagine that they are they are, whether dialogue or otherwise, you know, because that's the thing is like they. So let's call a spade a spade. The Cohen Brothers like are geniuses, but you know the vast majority of uh, and we do this because we're writers. We've written a script together. You're you you pull from things that you've read and consumed, whether you realize it or not. And I think both of us have a pretty good as because we're such big fans of literature and cinema that we like can pinpoint a lot of it. You know. Um, but I feel like they're, they're geniuses and they're doing their own thing. They're putting their own thumbprint on stuff and their own style and their own aesthetic, which is why they're like they're masters at their craft. But I've imagined they're pulling from that as well, like this well of literary and cinematic oh, yeah. influences. I think
1: they're super open about that. I mean, there was even this, this interview that um, we talked about with... I guess it's technically Cormac McCarthy interviewing the Coen brothers around the release of this movie. And he's talking about what few movies he likes and certain like classic American movies. Uh, and then he's like, heck, Miller's Crossing is one of them, too. And I think Ethan's like, yeah, but it's just some ripoff. And Cormac McCarthy goes, I didn't say it wasn't a ripoff. I said it's great. Because <laughs> <laughs> that movie is just the plot of Dashiell Hammett's uh, Red Harvest, I believe, which has been ripped off a million times. It's just and the plot
0: that, like, of Good Will Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> My best friend's been <laughs> Um, Okay, so then I'm gonna make this other point again. This isn't based on stuff I've read because you just, yeah, you just said they're very open about that. I wasn't aware of that, but uh, I also think Cormac McCarthy. I would imagine this is a complete assumption, and please, uh, if you know no different, let me know. But I imagine he doesn't watch a ton of movies. But I have a, ima- but if he love Miller's Crossing and the Coen Brothers are such like critically acclaimed filmmakers, I bet his films their films are in the things that he's watched and consumed and therefore maybe that's why this, the book came out in a way that feels like has a cohen's that's part of I'm their sure. thing yeah, too maybe he
1: influenced them and you you know a little tit-for-tat
0: like, action like, you know uh, what i'm saying
1: or burrows yeah why not no that's cool um
0: Cause that's what's cool about. Sorry to cut you off. Um That's what's just cool. I do think that's like when the top artists in the, of the day of any generation are getting together, they're influencing, and it could be in a salon in Paris in the 20s, like the the Fitzgeralds and the and the Hemingways. But it can also just be now. The nature of creating is very different, and even back then in the early two, in the mid 2000s. I just feel like there's this there's this ether of the An internet, maybe the the unconscious, and then there's this ether of like. I just think there's a lot of like uh, a lot of transmutation I guess would be the word of like of the best because it's like that's when you're I feel like when you're at the pinnacle of something you can you can you look to your contemporaries and there's not very many of them but like I would imagine that that's that's who gets in there you know what I mean
1: mm-hmm. totally totally no it's really interesting um, yeah uh, and another thing with uh, with the Coens and their influences I think I've brought this up to you times um but you're not our listeners um so yeah i mean the Coens love raymond chandler like they talk about how they read the big sleep before they write any movie which i don't know if that's true but the big lebowski is like beat for beat the plot of the big sleep which is kind of why it's called the big lebowski um but i i do think a lot about the opening of this movie how it is taken from the book but also the same as blood simple um but, and kind of the same as The Big Lebowski, how you have this narrator who seems like he's maybe not even in the movie. Um, and then in all cases, he he does come in, you know. Obviously, Ed mm-hmm. Tom Bell isn't there at the beginning, but he comes in and is kind of the main character, if anyone is. In Blood mm-hmm. Simple, it's this private detective who ends up being the villain. Um, and in The Big Lebowski, it's you're like, this guy doesn't exist in the world. This Sam Elliott voice, like, cowboy talking <laughs> about this stoner in Venice Beach. Um, but then, of course, he's mysteriously at the bar in the bowling alley um but it's all uh, the movie the third man has this incredible opening where there's a character giving voiceover like setting up this vienna that they're in and these characters and he's doing it in a very familiar tone as though he knows these characters um like saying oh harry harry lime is the character and then you never see the guy he doesn't come in and so it kind of to me it's always felt like all of these openings are kind of their answer to that especially The Big Lebowski um, because it's like a joke on that
0: commenting on The Third Man
1: yeah that's how I took it Um, I know The Long Goodbye the movie is also like a take on The Third Man so like that kind of Raymond Chandler Third Man mix is kind Mm -hmm. of makes sense for The Big Lebowski but for all those other ones it just it feels like that's just something that they love to do clearly even though like you know to totally different results but
0: interesting um. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's it's funny because I feel like it comes down to like, yeah, the, it feels like that there's, I don't know, I feel like the classic is like, don't have a narrator unless it's like adding to the story, unless it's adding texture, it's, it's right, right. something that you can't show. But I feel like there's this urge that, and that's why it's like, I feel like there's this urge to do it anyway. Like I was reading The Hobbit with my students and i noticed that there's tolkien uses i a lot so there's a there's a narrator of of it's not like third person omniscient it's weird because it is omniscient but this guy says i randomly cool and That's i'm like i don't yeah so it's just like i don't know Do you like i don't necessarily know what to make of that i, I just i wonder if it's a urge to like just to just be involved in the story i don't know
1: yeah and i mean sometimes it's probably as simple as like you know, a cool voice reading cool words over pretty pictures, pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> and adding the Ken Burns effect on iMovie <laughs> like I did back in the day. Um, yeah. Okay. So we're, we're kind of all over the place, but I'm digging it cause it's organic. Um, but is what's, how should we shoehorn more of a more of no country right now? How, how are you feeling?
1: Yeah. I mean, we could talk about some more of like, um, You know, what else changed from the the book to the movie? Like, um, I know I was surprised in reading the book that there's this entire, like, kind of, um, I don't know if it's a whole chapter or what, but of of Moss, like, kind of on the run with the young Mm -hmm. girl. Um,
0: Oh, I I marked that down, too, because I was just I was honestly just going in and trying to. Come, yeah, come up with discrepancies between the, or differences between the book. I kind of thought that it was like, the thing that I took to be true was like that they it was like they were bonding. And I don't remember specifically, so I'm talking on my butt a little bit here, but I did mark it down because Tommy Lee Jones's character, as the narrator giving these character monologues, he starts to comment on the plot that's going on. Mm-hmm. And basically he says something about how like what the paper said about moss and the young girl like aren't true and how they kind of determined that they were just like it was just by happenstance and that they were kind of bonding and that he was but i thought that was that does make moss's character more interesting because i do think he's like a very conflicted guy yeah with um like he doesn't say i think it's pretty jarring when you watch it again that the guy he doesn't save the guy he goes back, which is the catalyst, right? Right. Um, he goes back with the water, but he doesn't save. Him. He won't even close the door. The guy's like rude. Yeah, like he's like saying lobos, which is uh, I believe it's um, wolves? wolves. Yeah. So the guy's like fearful of wolves, even if there aren't wolves. Like he says, you can close the fucking door. Yeah, come on. Um, no, I. Love so it. I, as you know, as I like watching like shitty characters if they're fun, and I think it's almost. As long like I don't know, do you really want that, him having like hooking up with this young girl or whatever? But I do think it would add an interesting texture of like like that's what I think Game of Thrones does so well is that they make the protagonist the antagonist and the antagonist the protagonist. They like have that switch and you start liking people that you didn't like and that type of thing. So it would be really interesting because it's like he's very white knighty in a sense, like he gets this money and he's gonna have a better life for him and his young wife, and he's just doing whatever it takes. But then if you were to like have a slip up like that, if you were to be like hooking up with this young girl and like going around with him, like I would, I just think that's really interesting too.
1: No, definitely. And I mean, I guess um, the, there is one, some of it in the movie. Like um, it's just, you, you don't um, see I'm it.
0: really sorry. Corey's calling me real quick. Um, Hold on one, pause, one second. Pause. so sorry. So sorry. I'm back. What good. were you saying?
1: So let's try. I want to try and find a good way to start this over. Um, yeah. And I mean, in the movie, the scene by the pool, it it is vague. It's like, you know, well, first of mm. all, the, the, the actress, I'm not sure who she is. Clearly not, like 16. But there is the implication that he may have gone to have beers with her, you know, in Mm -hmm. her hotel room. You kind of can't tell because that's the last time we see him before he's killed and we see the aftermath. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are a few things where, you know, so much of the book is exactly as it is in the movie, but there are a few spots where the Coens cut stuff out in a way that I I find so effective. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, the big one, the ending, not seeing what happens to Carla Jean, Mm-hmm. we know but there's something about not seeing it that makes makes him again kind of feel weakened or defeated mm-hmm. almost um especially getting an accident right thereafter but that she's not willing to play his game she's not going to flip the coin and she's like doesn't even really seem scared at least compared mm-hmm. to like kind of the cowardice of uh, of woody harrelson um yeah
0: the, no that's a really interesting thing to point out i think that's the big difference right is that in the book she um she event she does flip the coin and then he shoots her and the, he kind of like goes on this monologue that's about how life is meaningless and she's like I agree and then gets shot and you're just like she's like she like I see it now and it's just like you read it and you're like oh fuck you know yeah. <laughs> um but when you watch it yeah it's so effective about like of cutting away so we don't see it and he just wipes his shoes and you know and then there's like the kids walk riding by with the cards on their the tire and it's like hmm. this this horrible thing happened um and nobody has any idea and it's like this innocent this symbol of innocence with the kids but then the fact yeah i i agree but i think what you're saying is so true though. they cut it out and it's way better because you see it's like kelly mcdonald like carla jean like she's like weakened him like she's brought him back down yeah, to earth yeah and, exactly and then he gets um, his,
1: his uh his bone broken the fuck yeah, look, his at look at that <laughs> fucking bone Fucking no, it's funny
0: It is really funny at times. Um, Okay, so really quick. Another thing I said, I had a hot take. Okay, I have one. I think there's one major flaw in the movie, and it's so goofy. And the thing is, it's not that big a deal. But the fact that they made this, I'm mystified by. I think the big flaw in the movie is Carla Jean's mom is like, an old as, as a middle-aged woman that they've dressed up to be old she looks like the church lady and she's squawking like mrs Fowl from jimmy neutron i can't believe they did that <laughs>
1: good character i do i don't disagree i do think she's hilarious
0: she is hilarious but it's like miss i just think it's like so miscast because it's like do you know what an old just you just get an old woman yeah, you don't yeah, get yeah, yeah. you know what i mean she's I, i'm literally... honestly
1: i didn't know it was a younger actress than that but that it, it makes so much sense
0: she has, like, the wig and the big glasses, and, like, it's, like, she was in Donnie Darko, and she's, like, sometimes I don't think you're committed to sparkle motion. That actress, she's also <laughs> in The oh, Office as Dwight's that. date. Yeah, so she's a great actress, but it's just, like, I can't believe they dressed her up as, like, an old woman and had her be that, like, stereotypically old in this movie. Yeah, I guess. it's
1: possibly the most cartoonish Part of the movie. It, it also, I, I know you haven't watched The Sopranos, but it reminds me. Tony's mother is a character in the first two seasons. Her name is Livia Soprano, and her like big refrain is kind of, "Oh Lord, take me now." Uh, <laughs> she'll just say that. Uh, and that uh, this woman had, you know, major Livia feeling to her. um I mean, there are a couple. I mean, we've talked about this. I think the funniest character is. Um, I don't even know his name but Garrett Dillahunt's character, the sheriff's deputy who's always with Oh, he's great. Ed Tom Bell. Oh my yeah. god. He's so Oh god.
0: <laughs> Oh, we just missed him. <laughs>
1: Sheriff, we just missed him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and he's like and then Tommy Lee Jones is like, well, he's like we got to put a call out and then Tommy Lee Jones is like, what? Somebody who's recently drunk milk? Um, no, that's a great that, line.
1: You know, that's another thing that is not in the book that has always struck me about the movie even before I read the book. Another kind of you know, doubling that they're doing is Sugar uh, goes in looking for Moss in his uh, mobile home, not motor home mm-hmm. mobile home, uh, and he sits down on the couch and sees his reflection in the TV. And then uh, Tommy Lee Jones, which I think is in the book, but then mm-hmm. when they come back in and they, you know, see the milk and or drink the milk and um, see that it's still sweating, so he wasn't, he couldn't have been too far. And then Tommy Lee Jones sits down and sees himself in the reflection as well. Cool doubling, but I, I want to shout out um, it's Adam Nayman's book on the Coen Brothers, the the film writer Adam Nayman. In his essay on this movie, he points out that not only is that doubling there, but it's kind of like Tommy Lee Jones is seeing himself you know, as the sheriff of the West, all you can really see is his cowboy hat and this thing in Mm -hmm. the television, you know, where these stories are so often told. And like, does he live up to this like fictional idea of the West when he can't even like grapple with whatever's happening in the real world now with this, Mm -hmm. these crazy forces and cartels and all that. And I thought that was really interesting and a great choice on their part, just even visually. So cool. That is
0: really no, that is interesting to think about because I think one of the things that's so effective about that character in this movie is the scale of it. It's this big scale movie, but it's in a small scale. You know, if like you watch Goodfellas, it's actually about like kind of the 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 people on the bottom. Right, right, know? right. It's kind of like that, where it's like Tommy right, right. Lee Jones is scared, is scared to go in. He won't carry a gun. And the 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 town doesn't have enough resources where he has to have his wife's horse to go look at that thing and it's like and i don't know i just really appreciated that because it's like you have this idea of the west and the south i think as well and i think maybe they have ideas about like you know the north and the east coast elites the coastal elites or whatever but like you have this idea that everybody in texas is like don't tread on me Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna shoot you and all this stuff and he's like a veteran and he's like just so like he's just very gentle and He's like basically, and that's how it is, is like when you have a serial killer who comes to a random town, he's not sure he's like a hitman, but you know what I mean? They don't have the resources to figure it out. You know, like they just don't
1: this man's got a silencer on a shotgun
0: yeah and it makes such a cool noise um i think ultimately what i love about cormac mccarthy and I, what i love about this movie is that and i also feel this way about certain space movies it taps into that boyish good-natured stereotype that you have as like a guy sometimes where you're like this is just boys being boys <laughs> like in the west with guns and all this violence it, it has that but it's so much deeper and it's shot beautifully it's like this high art piece that's like in this vessel that's like it it it's i totally see for example like Corey had no interest in watching watching it because she hates violent movies but i'm like it for me it's like it's it is that it is those things it checks those boxes but it's just so much deeper and so fun
1: no yeah it's totally true it's like kind of that classic thing of like It's it is the thing that it's deconstructing, you know? Like Mm -hmm. um Which I think is the best. Of course. Yeah, yeah, it's the best. You don't want to
0: watch a thing that's a critique of something else. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: Very far very fair point. My Western movie is actually a critique about the rom com. Um no but totally where it's like you you do get the pleasures of like a crazy chase and nighttime shootout in this small western town where a driver who picks up a hitchhiker immediately gets shot in the fucking Adam's apple. Oh um, god. disgusting. Um it is yeah, gross. It's true cuz there is something like you know like maybe like for saying Tommy Lee Jones seeing himself on the TV. Yeah, as much as I know it's not true like I've consumed enough western culture throughout my childhood that yeah, part of me is like, but maybe I am a cowboy who's going to save the day. <laughs> even though I know that's the farthest thing from the truth. Oh, God. I, I would die of dysentery
0: in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Even in
1: the 80s. Um,
0: I would. Yeah, even now. I'd be like, leave me here. I can't I do it. I dysentery. Um, I would be, yeah, I would, my, like, would just I can't imagine riding on a horse for that long. Yeah, so I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Um, So I think it's a great movie. I guess where does it rank for you in terms of like your personal – in terms of – okay, where does it rank for you in terms of the Cohen filmography and in terms of like your personal – obviously it's different. The best – okay, this is a three-pronged question, Tanner. Maybe we'll end on this. Okay, where does it rank for you as far as the Cohen's filmography? Where does it rank for you as far as like best movies in your opinion and then favorite movies?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it's like – both because it was the first coen brothers movie i saw which real quick uh, I, I know i put this in the document i just have to include it i think my first exposure to the coen brothers outside of seeing maybe half of a brother where art thou in english class because it's technically an adaptation of the odyssey was uh in super bad which came out the same year as this only a few months earlier uh great year 2007 when they're arguing about the porn they're watching you probably remember the name of the porn um something Oh, uh, perfect van. 10
0: oh uh the vagtastic voyage <laughs> the vagtastic voyage yes I, <laughs> yeah. I thought you would and they bang them once they're all in the van <laughs> <laughs>
1: that he they're walking and michael sarah goes i just want would it kill to watch something with uh, some production value and then joe Hill goes sorry the coen brothers don't direct the porn i watch i (laughs) I know what does that mean are are there so i mean obviously it means that they're, they're known for having a certain like technical acumen that's clear in all their work um but but this being both the first movie of theirs i watched and like Again, it does feel like a Coen Brothers movie in so many ways, but is sparer and different and almost feels mythical on like a totally like naked level. It almost feels separate to me from the rest of their movies. Like, I have a hard time ranking it, but I have a hard time ranking all their movies in general. I feel like they're kind of tiers where there are like mm-hmm. probably seven or eight of them where I'm like, can't touch them, I couldn't pick. And it's certainly in there along with, I mean, God, probably Barton Fink. The big lebowski and then i think their run after this movie is so incredible like because they made four movies in i think four years it went this burn after reading insane one-two punch of like total opposite movies that are both great mm-hmm. a serious man and true grit all in consecutive years um but i think this barton fink big lebowski a serious man and Inside Lou Davis Th- those are the ones for me that on any given day probably whichever I've watched most recently would be my favorite um god it's so hard to pick and I mean the, the fact that they made this movie coming out of two two of their movies that people like actively dislike the lady killers and intolerable intolerable cruelty fucked up the pronunciation it's just so, such an insane turnaround. These two movies that they wrote for other people then decided to direct that like, I mean, I like Intolerable Cruelty, but The Lady Killers kind of sucks and is maybe like weird and racist. And to just come (laughs) back from this and like win all these Oscars. And then just- We love a comeback story. We do love a comeback story. Um, So yeah, it's certainly one of my favorites of theirs. It does just kind of feel like it's outside of that, though, you know? Like, it's this thing that's always been there, which feels very Cormac McCarthy, too, you know? It feels like something that's always existed, mm-hmm. like how his books feel biblical. Um, so that you- is
0: interesting, because my one... Th- I just think... It's interesting, because we spend a lot of time comparing and wondering about the the pollination, the cross-pollination between these, these two camps, in a way. But I feel like the reason I, like... And it's interesting though because then it, this is this point is wrong because you're saying how the big sleep and the big lebowski and that connection there and um i don't know because i love you know country for old men i think it's like personally i think it's like maybe their best film but as i don't it something about it so i i have like reverence for it i'm like this is an amazing film but the other films feel more personal to them and quirky and offbeat and like character driven from their inventions you know
1: yeah i completely agree like there's a there's a i mean all their movies feel somewhat perfect certainly technically but there's a perfection about this movie that definitely makes it what it is and contributes so much to it but also kind of makes it feel like isolated and hermetically sealed Mm.
0: off
1: from the rest yeah like museum glass yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah where like something like even a serious man is so strange and clear i mean it's it's set in their childhood whatever whether that's based on their childhood or not but yeah I, I, I agree I agree with you there like where I can't help but put this near the top but it can't be my favorite I don't think
0: yeah I know it is interesting how that works I feel like a lot of people's best movies maybe it's like because I think when you it's a favorite is different than best so it's like
1: yeah it's like I wish it wasn't and I don't think it should be but sometimes it's hard for them to not be separate you know
0: mm-hmm okay cool and then where did where does this? I don't know. I guess that's so dumb. That's a maybe a dumb question, but where does like, it
1: rank among my favorite movies of all time?
0: Well, not we can skip that then because we know it's kind of not, it's almost not that's what I feel about that way too. Actually, is that like it's in it's in it's right at the ready to talk about and think it's good, but it's not like one because remember, you're you're on some app with uh, it's Tinder, oh, that, no, um, no. it's the one the one <laughs> about where you picked. yeah, where you have and what are what are yours.
1: Oh, where you have your four? Yeah. Hold yeah. On. That's such a good point because that's such a good thing where you're like, well, what are my four favorite movies? But I also wanted to represent me. Um, yeah. I want people to know the And my personal
0: personality.
1: Point. I believe I have The Long Goodbye, hey, shout it out in this episode slightly, The Green Ray, Taxi Driver, and A New Leaf. I'm really trying to put out a certain, you know, image of myself. Interesting. But I could easily have any of the Coen Brothers movies on there and don't. Um
0: so, yeah, I feel like it's – no, this, I guess that's my point is, like, yeah, it, it doesn't make the list of of favorites even though it's an amazing movie. It would be and that's how I if one feel. of
1: us had, like, a, some absurd ranking of it. They were like, yeah, you know, I think it's, like, right around 321 for me <laughs> of all time.
0: Just what new. a – we have like, well, maybe this is good to end on too, just quickly. I think Corey and Florence are gonna barge back in at any second, and then once Florence is back in the house, my two year old, there's just no way this is, this is my precarious setup on moving His boxes is gonna,
1: huge. No Country for Old Men fan, weirdly enough.
0: Huge Cormac fan. Came into watching her read Blood Meridian, I was horrified, but she <laughs> she totally got it, um, and she thinks you can separate the art from the artist. Um, <laughs> so she wants us to do Child of God, but anyway. <laughs> um, is so like yeah so you just named some of yours so you have let's hit me with like and don't worry about being like cool or whatever hit me with like 10 films that showcase like what you like and i'll do the same
1: okay yeah yeah let's go the long goodbye chinatown kind of kind of playing in similar boxes um a new leaf Elaine May's a new leaf eric romer's claire's knee greenberg we've already shouted out greenberg mm. no bomb greenberg why not um inherent vice oh this is hard i'm trying to be
0: cool don't try to be cool. <laughs> okay that's good that's a good i mean think of others love, so for I me et et I
1: love, extra, <laughs> I love the extraterrestrial there you go am not trying to be cool
0: et is great although it scared the shit out of me when he yells i remember being a kid It's just when like, he's like
1: <laughs> like runs E.T. out of the bathtub thank I'm you
0: scared now. um oh yeah i'm similar like i uh, inherent vice is on the list. I would say the master is also on the list. That's like sure, sure, cool. Yeah. Um Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fucking love it. Probably our next episode. Um Life Aquatic, Greenberg, Francis Ha, A- uh, Annie Hall. Sorry. Love it. Um, As
1: Florence said, separate there from the artist.
0: She exactly. You gotta learn from Florence. Um Annie Hall, Midnight in Paris. Um fucking uh I love I love Super Bad, Zoolander um i 2001 a space odyssey is really up there for me as well uh big big cubes guy uh um and then inglorious bastards pulp fiction
1: i feel like jackie brown i would put on on yeah that's the one i would put on my list
0: i feel oh and um i also love the long goodbye i feel like my my sense like i think we share it is the people who write and direct you know, their own stuff. Like the like, um Cohen Brothers, Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, Noah Bomback, um, what's his face? Uh Robert Altman. I love the player. The player's great. I feel I feel like and Sophia Coppola as well. Um I love I love the beguiled and I love lost of translation.
1: Love Sophia
0: Coppola. <laughs> no nothing, nothing else. Just love Sophia
1: Coppola. <laughs> Somewhere. Somewhere similar-looking film, The Greenberg, shot by the same guy. Good LA look. Not related to No Country for Old Men, but
0: not related, but could be. Okay, Tanner. Well, I feel good about this. is a good Is a good start to it, and then you know, the sky is the limit.
1: The sky is a limit. Yeah. Uh, come back, guys. Fantastic Mr. Fox, sometime in the future.
0: Yes, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I feel like our I feel like our shortlist is Fantastic Mr. Fox, Inherent Vice, something by Kubrick. Um, said, we the cubes i gotta read the long goodbye because i do want to do that episode um i was just like because we both read that short story for 2001 that would be pretty easy but i was like i was thinking about it i was like if we're gonna do a Kubrick episode i feel like the medias for this particular topic is probably the shining
1: that's true that that is kind of like the platonic idea of what we're thinking about for this show you know the the differences that you know ugh. a feud between an author and a director what could be better than that
0: I feel like that's interesting too, because it's now we're just getting off the rails. But yeah, it's like because we are trying to find ones that have equal weight. So it's like, for example, The Great Gatsby, I love that book, but like nobody likes any of the movies that have been made. Right, right. So it's like if you can find like everyone knows it as a book and loves the book if you like it. Whereas nobody loves – is anyone out there, like, loves the movie and hates the book? but uh...
1: Yeah, fucking pro- – I don't know. God, that fucking movie, the, the Baz Luhrmann one. Same with – yeah, I would love to do uh, any number of Philip Roth books, but famously bad adaptations, almost none of which I... I've seen, so maybe it's not even true.
0: Oh, I have a quick note of penance for you as well. Um, I said I, – I quoted the, the literary pocket, the history of literature, how the one guy said, if you just want to read – if you want to read – david foster wallace philip roth or jonathan franzen you should just read Saul bellow and then i after i was thinking about that the other day i'm like philip roth is clearly tanner's favorite writer and then i like you have all his i feel like is that fair i feel like he's your favorite writer
1: i'm looking at my bookshelf yeah i got i got a lot of his books
0: and at american i'm halfway through herzog and I, I like i like it i like them reading it i feel smart and literary and on a college campus but uh, American pastoral is like fucking amazing, and yeah. it's better. Yeah, so I apologize for parroting that. I didn't say I believed that, no, but no, I did. No, no. I did share it in a way that was like just FYI. Your favorite writer sucks. Listen,
1: sometimes <laughs> I need to be taken down a peg.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't that's know. What
1: I podcasts are for
0: first. It's funny because this back to this idea of what what is you what do you like and what do you want people to think you like. So hard because for me it was like. I uh I have to pick for some of my grad school applications. It's like, w- name three like influences. like Or name three like that you're trying to emulate. And I was like, Don DeLillo's White Noise was one of them, and then, which I can stand by. And then I was laughing. I was like, Pinchon's Inherent Vice. But I'm like, but I feel like Vineland people like. I've never even read it. In my head, <laughs> I'm like, I have to read Vineland so I can say that I've been influenced by it, which is the craziest fucking thing.
1: No, no, no. You're right. <laughs> um
0: yeah and then i forget the last one i was gonna say but yeah it was like i was like white noise is a, is Perfect. i love it and i feel like it looks it would be cool to say
1: definitely great great look um uh yeah before we go do you want to do an anton sugar impression
0: oh yeah do you have one
1: no maybe i'll do another one though
0: here give me a line
1: um okay um
0: i just step out of the cars <laughs> it's just the way I, it is you married into it
1: married into it sir that guy says sir so many times <laughs> sir
0: I one of my favorite lines I can't do it an impression when the guy goes are you gonna kill me and he goes I don't know did you see me
1: yeah yeah. Like- yeah great. and then he gives I, know, I, I think I mentioned to you when I saw this movie at the New Beverly a couple weeks ago the look Javier Bardem gives after that where he just raises his eyebrows people were like falling in the aisles laughing it was so funny
0: i i guess one criticism too just on the way out and it's just dumb but i do think steven root is like a second away from being like my poor old heart (laughs) like he's like so i mean he's an amazing actor um but there is he was a little bit like very he was very like highfalutin southern man to me
1: sure sure i i get it I, i know what you're saying
0: okay so great movie great great friendship Great, great podcast like great share podcast. subscribe
1: first of all yeah, yeah yeah let us know how great the podcast is i don't even know how this works let us know who am i Wanna, to i think it's
0: gonna yeah we'll go in the canon for a bit once we have a few and then we'll we'll go from there oh yeah all right well i'm oh uh, then so we'll, we'll stop the recording but then let me know if it sounds weird on your end i'll do the same
1: okay sounds good man all
0: so, right good to see you bro
1: you too dude